0: Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 55. You have to have enough knowledge to be able to ask the question so people who know what they're doing can answer for you. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hartich. On today's episode, we talk to Leo Arnold about his journey to southwest Nebraska, where he's grazing corn stalks with stalker cattle now. We talk about his journey to get there, educational opportunities he's had, and grazing corn stalks. But before we talk to Leo, let's do 10 seconds about my farm. And we're actually not going to talk about my farm too much, because I just got home last weekend from the Greg Judy Advanced Grazing School with... He and Mitchell Enos. It was a wonderful school. I really enjoyed it. And my dad asked me a very good question when I got home. He says, was it worth the money? To be honest, I can't really say that I learned that much new stuff. It's stuff I've been exposed to. But just like a pencil, we get dull over time and we need sharpened. So it's that sharpening of our tools so we become better. So I did come home with some action items for myself. Uh, I really have not been pushing daily rotations just because of time constraints uh, with my off-the-farm job. So I did buy a Teeter Farm Tech automatic gate that I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes. And I'm going to try and move my cows more often, whether that's daily or two days, three days, more often than what I'm doing right now. And also, it was great to see Greg's animals, see how they act, see what they're doing, and to look around. It was nice to be able to really visualize his place. I've read his books and and seen it, so it was a really good program. A great thing was I got to connect with some listeners out there, which is always wonderful. I'm always amazed anybody listens to me, so thank you for listening. And then got to meet other people in their journeys. And that's probably one of the biggest points or positive things about it is these connections you make of other people on their own journeys that we can keep in touch with and see how things are going. Also, the food was excellent. This is all in all, very good school networking opportunity, eating time. Will I go next year? Hell no. Maybe. I I do think there's lots of value to sharpening your tool and getting refreshed on what you're doing. Anyway, enough about that. Let's talk to Leo. Leo, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass podcast. We're excited to have you on. Hello, Cal. Thank you for having me. Leo, can you tell us a little bit about you and your operation?
1: Sure. I'm uh, in western the southwest Nebraska near Wallace, Nebraska, south of I-80. And, oh, about 40 miles. We are a stocker cattle enterprise. We trade cattle in the winter and then we put them out to pasture during the summer and sell them June and September, normally during the summer. I grew up in central Illinois near Springfield, right on the bluffs there. And my family had a small farm in we have been rotational grazing since ninety nineteen ninety when they bought the farm. So I grew up doing rotational grazing on just a couple hundred acres pasture we have had there and dad had a job off the farm and we all worked in our the maintenance company that he had and I really liked working with livestock so I worked for half the county on every livestock operation there. This I remember one year, I think I got 12 W-2s from different people I worked for. (laughs) I got quite a bit of experience on a lot of different operations. Very well run feedlots to poorly run feedlots to very well run grazing farms to not so well graze run grazing farms. And then uh, after I graduated high school, I went into the dairy grazing apprenticeship and I did my apprenticeship near Wausau, Wisconsin. We milked about 208, 240 cows. And obviously, they were out on pasture there. That program is a Department of Labor approved apprenticeship. So, you, you when you graduate, you are a journeyman, um, a dairy farmer. So, it's very similar to the union programs. There's 4,000 hours. Spread out over two years that do that on and uh, it's on farm and classroom hours but now most of the classes on are oh. online I think they're spread out six or seven oh, states yes. across the eastern part of the us and that um, was a very good program you learned how to operate a dairy but you also learned the ground on you know the marketing and the finances and all that, and you had uh, all the resources you needed. It is an excellent spot to get started either if you want to milk cows, which is, in my opinion, very fun. Very good base for your knowledge to get started. So after I finished that, I actually got a job in New Zealand for a season raising calves, and it was very beneficial to have gone through the apprenticeship. With the apprenticeship, it allowed my employers in New Zealand to look up through the Department of Labor what I was qualified to do so they could look and see, you know, yes, he knows how to raise calves, this, this, and this. And so it gave me a lot of opportunities going there to get a very good job on a very nice dairy down there and worked down there for about seven months in the Canterbury Plains And while I was there, I worked on or would go and visit as many dairy farms and grazing farms as I could, some time on a sheep and goat beef cattle operation while I was there. And that was interesting to see how that went. Then when I came back to the U.S., I came up with a plan to start a cattle business in Illinois. On my parents' opera land and rent some more pasture there, and my goal there was to run cattle there three to five years, build up kind of a uh, financial record so that I could use that to rent a larger spot. I was looking at Southwest Missouri at that point. So when I came back, I did that and I continued to travel and work. I worked in South America for a. Oh, a month or two and I was running the um, operation in Illinois I did that for about three years and then last spring I was offered this opportunity to come out to the, a ranch here in western Nebraska to potentially take over the operation after a trial period so I kind of finished out you know after running the numbers and looking around I Finished out my grazing contracts and my land leases in Illinois, and I closed down the grazing business in Illinois and moved here in November. So now I'm here in western Nebraska, and we started grazing corn
0: stalks in December. Sounds like you have a wide variety of experience that will serve you well. Somewhere in there, I had a sheep flock as well. Oh, yes. Got all the bases covered. A few goats. (laughs) I've tried about it. I can't. So as long as you're moving towards that end goal, it's, it's going good, right?
1: Exactly. You don't have to go in a straight line just as long as you're going in the vague direction.
0: You know, I like to tell people, progress is progress no matter how small. Exactly. Some days I don't make a lot, but I'm working that way. Some days I go backwards. <laughs> well, you know, if, if we want to be honest, we all do. It's part of. Now, let's jump back to your DGA, your grazing or dairy grazing apprenticeship. How did you find out about that program? How did you get hooked up with it? How would someone interested in it find out more info? I had an uncle who was one of the founding directors,
1: so that's how I was introduced to it. If you're interested in doing it, you get on their website and you you can either fill out the application and you could call one of the educator coordinators and just talk to them about the program, what is going on. That's what I did. Just talk to them about it. They have a great website. It's called dairygrazingapprenticeship.net. And like I said, it they cover pasture management, pasture seeding they cover the whole nine yards. You put your application out there and then the masters look at it, the master farmers look it over and then they, you know, they contact you. And I think I looked at three different operations before I chose the one I did. And, you know, like anything, you want to work for someone you can learn something from. So, you know, that's the very important, you know, make sure you work for the person that's going to teach you the most.
0: Oh, yes. Going through the dairy grazing apprenticeship brought you that new zealand opportunity yes yes it it did it was a service
1: that had reached out at an agency that finds workers to come to new zealand to work because they have a worker shortage and they a lot of times hire students from ireland normally but they had reached out to oh, the yes. apprentice because they didn't have enough students coming from ireland but you know it was cold in wisconsin so i was looking for somewhere warm to milk cows i think that was 2017 2018 when they had the polar vortex oh yes i saw in the weather that it was snowing and blizzarding in wisconsin i would send them a
0: picture of me milking cows in shorts and flip flops so that is great so tell us a little bit about your experiences in new zealand was there anything that surprised you So I worked on a
1: 1,200-cow dairy, milking dairy. It was a seasonal operation. We had a 60-bale rotary that we milked the cows in. It was really interesting to see the amount of nitrogen and fertilizer that they used on their pastures. And, you know, it's all under irrigation, and it's in this area not all over New Zealand, but in the yes. Canterbury Plains, they use, it's all under irrigation pretty much. And they use a, a substantial amount of fertilizer to grow the ryegrass and white clover. It was really interesting. That was the mix that they had there was the, it was rye ryegrass and white clover mainly in the pastures. And, you know, I went to some, there are, definitely some dairies that are doing it completely different, but kind of was the run of the mill oh, yeah. in the experience. Now that was on the East shore of the South Island, kind of in the middle. And that's the pretty typical dairy there. Now you go to the West coast of the South Island and it's completely different. You know, they have no irrigation. They get rain, you know, 300 days a year. And they jokingly say you can grow grass on top of tea posts and, you you really can't their pasture management there is completely different than on the east coast but it's an hour drive across the mountains or an hour and oh yes it's not that far and then you know you get into the north island and it's big rolling hills those are kind of the older dairies those were the original dairies most of the ones in the canterbury area that where i was at they've been built in the last 15 to 20 years They've been there for a long time and they they had more diverse pastures and big rolling hills. That area was really interesting to see what they were doing there and how they were managing it. You know, open parlors, they might have three walls around the parlors, which was <laughs> very interesting.
0: Which is unusual for the US, so. I watch a YouTube channel from a dairy farmer in New Zealand. And yeah, he's got that open shed for his swinging, I don't know, I'd say a 12, maybe without knowing for sure. Now I'm thinking I need to look it up and see where he's located in New Zealand. He was just talking about some nitrogen application on his last video, but I don't believe I've seen any irrigation on his farm.
1: They've kept the amount that they put on nitrogen wise i understand
0: correctly he had a report that showed how much nitrogen he had added how much nitrogen from milk and i may be butchering this i saw it on the video other day and then i just thought it was interesting so net usage and then it compared to other farms is really interesting what he showed and he didn't show a lot of that but i just thought oh wow yeah and
1: then They're MUN. They're not nearly as worried about the MUN as we are here in the milk, you know, but it's a completely different class of milk than we normally sell. It's normally class one or two. So it's mostly powdered and shipped overseas. So when I was there, I would milk 600, 612 cows by myself in a little over two hours.
0: It was interesting. That would be, yes. Yeah, I've I've never been around a rotary barn. One of the main reasons I wanted to go there was they do
1: batch reared calves. So they raise ten calves in a pin at a time or group reared or group raised as we call it here, sorry. Yes. And I had some experience on that in the on the dairy in Wisconsin and we raised about eighty heifers that way. Well, I wanted to see that on a larger scale because that's how they were Raised majority of the calves. in New Zealand, we had about 360 calves, so we had 36 calves that we had in pins. So it was really interesting. You know, in the U.S., we heat the milk and everything, and it's normally fresh milk. There, the areas I was around, they heat the milk, and you know, we had big milk bars, and then then we took them out to pasture and we continued to feed them on pasture milk, and they had these milk trailers, which are Absolutely fascinating things they're essentially have you seen pictures of them before or Yeah. There? yes
0: on this youtube channel i follow he's got a milk trailer and he mm-hmm. pulls out there and he pumps milk into a milk bar feeder or mm-hmm. whatever they're called which that type of rearing of calves is is very foreign to me because when we dairied of course we're out of the dairying business now but when we dairied 30 years ago we had individual pins for every calf and we did our best to not have anything that was nursing or drinking milk group with any other calves because we we were concerned about blind quarters and heifers as they matured.
1: Yeah. You know, health issues are very minimal. You know, there. I really like that, you know, and cleanliness from
0: that standpoint. And as we all know, to keep calves healthy, you need clean facilities. And so once you finished in New Zealand, you came back to Illinois? I rented my parents' land in Illinois. And then I worked
1: for the majority of the guys' paddle in the county. And some of them had retired, oh, so yes. I was able to pick up some more leased land. I ran most of everything. I had dry beef cows and I had a pet fur and a steer herd that I ran. I would just drive them from farm to farm. Is how most of the time I'd do it. Occasionally I'd get in a pinch and have to truck them. I would just keep them in herd and I would rotate them from one one farm or one pasture to another. And then I would split those pastures up, poly wire, and you know, bare bones operation. But at the same time, it wasn't. I had access to as much equipment as I wanted. You know, if I wanted to rent it, all I had to do is pick the phone and ask. And you know, I worked for. It like I said, majority of the people. The reason I wanted to start there is it's extremely good pasture if you manage it. It's Kentucky, a lot of the Kentucky 31, fescue. Most of the pastures don't have very good fence. Well, you know, was exposed to Greg Judy. So I figured out a long time ago, depreciating out fence on pe- other people's land works very well. So that I was not afraid to... <laughs> in some hot wire and I would normally graze it with dry cows the first year, maybe the second year, but the dry cows, they came in, they could stomp so much more into the ground. They would improve the pasture so much that the, um, succeeding years afterwards, it was too good of pasture for the dry cows so I would switch to grazing stocker cattle. And I had a mixture of owned stocker cattle. And I custom grazed stalker cattle for a grass-fed operation. But land rent there for pasture is next to nothing compared to crop ground. You know, if it's crop ground, it's $300 an acre. Oh, yes. And if it's pasture, it's $30 an acre. You know, you just get those pockets. But that was only in that area because I have some friends an hour away, and their pasture rent was 80 to $100 an acre but the crop grout is not as good and there's a lot more cattle. And so there's a lot more competition. Oh, where I was at, there was nobody else having cattle, you know, did have to drive a little ways to get to my nutritionist. luckily I didn't need a vent very often. So I was able to make that work pretty well, but you know, with the experience on the dairy, I can fix a lot of things. And if if I can't fix them, they probably don't need to be there. A lot of people thought it was kind of an odd spot to start. It was a little farther away from the markets. It was pretty centrally located because, you know, hour and 15 minutes got me into Missouri. There were Palmyra and Bowling Green, Missouri were big sale barns. and Or i go up into Iowa and sell if I needed to there. And there were a lot of small sale barns, local sale barns in our area that maybe sold less than a hundred feeder cattle a week. Well, you go around there, you pick up the junk and, you know, you can make things work And the bundle
0: and ship them. Give us a a real quick synopsis of that sell-by. Essentially, what it does, Bud noticed,
1: like Walmart and big box stores, they make their profit when they replace the item that is sold. They build in a profit So when they sell something, they sell it. And then what can we buy back for and have a profit margin in there? You're just looking at it a little bit differently. You're building in your profit at the buy, not at the sell. It doesn't really matter what you sell it at. matters what you buy. And, you know, you can trade. I tended to buy animals that were nutritionally deficient, fix them up. But there are guys who buy pot loads that are just undervalued. There's a what is called the cattle square to determine what is undervalued and what is overvalued in the market. And there are marketing classes from Wally Olson and Richard and Tina Williams, hand-in-hand
0: hand livestock. They do a very, very good job of explaining it. It is on my list to go to wally has them in Clamore, oklahoma sometimes and i have not made it yet i am actually located four miles from where wally managed the kelly ranch and oh okay oh at times i don't know he had a thousand head of goats multiple thousand head i don't know Mm -hmm. he had a a ton of goats i drove by him every day going to work but yeah wally While he was over here, he lives south of here, I don't know, 15, 20 miles now. I love listening to him. I would highly suggest going to one of his marketing schools
1: because you can see how it applies to sheep, goats, cows, stalkers, and, you know, any class of livestock. Well, when I went to his marketing class, it was interesting, really the light
0: bulb moment, how it applied to the dairy industry. And one thing you mentioned there, you went to the Wally and marketing school. You mentioned earlier, you've been to Greg Judy grazing school. You did the, the DGA. It sounds like you're very active in going to these different schools or workshops to gain information. Mm-hmm. Dad liked to go to them and uh, he had to take one of us kids along. So
1: a lot of times he would take me. For a long time, there's a grazing group in Missouri that's called Green Hills Farm Project. You okay. know, I started going to pasture walks there. I'd do six or seven of them a year. I would go to grazing conferences in Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin. I've done HMI classes several times, which Holistic Management International. I never went to college, but I I found people who I could learn from, and it's amazing once you start that how that is a cascading effect, and you you end up
0: in Very odd places. I think that's great about those conferences and that continuing education piece. So, going to Greg Judy, of course, when this comes out, we'll have already gone. So, I'm really excited about it. And hopefully, I can get to RFP soon. I was thinking about going. They actually have a class that went on last week in Oklahoma City, but the timing just wasn't right for me. And I really wanted to go, though. I, I hadn't convinced my wife quite yet to spend that much money, but I was working on it. RFP is great, and HMI now has the online classes. I don't know if you've taken any of them or anything, but that is excellent resource. I haven't yet, but it's it's on my list, but I haven't done it yet. So hopefully soon I'll get that done. They're not too expensive. That's the nice thing, and you can they have a
1: pretty good scholarship program especially for people who are starting out and who don't have an operation yet. I would really suggest they do some fundamental HMI courses. I was going to mention that, you know, this is more for your younger audience or people who are just starting out. What I realized while I was in DGA actually was I needed the foundations in chemistry, the foundations of biology and economics class financial ma- management class or a business class, I really like to take a book, took a bookkeeping class. And then, you know, that kind of just gives you the baseline knowledge. And then you can build off of that. And while I was in DGA, I was actually exposed to the FinPAC. The benefit of FinPAC is they'll teach you how to do record keeping, which is excellent No. know uh, how to set up an office, how, oh, to, set up, yes. how to match your production records to your financial records that was a big eye-opener for me was when I learned how to mesh my production records to my financial records you know okay this is what you know doing this costs me this but it gives me this return and that you know is an acceptable return on my investment and that really was a big eye-opener for me feel like they did a very good job teaching me to that. Like I said, I showed interest. So they gave me access to some very high level, very intelligent people at the University of Wisconsin and Minnesota. With having those foundations, it allows me, you know, so I, I can really understand the nutrition side of things now because it's a lot of it's just chemistry and understand the nutrition, not only of dairy cattle with the sheep and the goats and even chickens never have quite figured out horses or rabbits. But, you know, those types of things, you really baseline of the chemistry and the biology really helps the biology when it comes to soil health. You know, if you take a biology class right before you start going it down the back to soil health or, you know, the soil health academy. And that's a big guy opener. Like, oh, I understand what these guys are saying or these people are saying. You know, you could pull a lot more out of that just for instances was taking a chemistry class and a nutrition class actually at this community college simultaneously. I wanted to take higher level nutrition classes than they offered through DGA. And the two professors got together and made my final exam for the chemistry and the nutrition class that only came to me, but they didn't tell me about it. They pushed me a lot to learn. So But with those ten baseline of that it allows you to take advantage of opportunities that a lot of people don't see and i should add it in here that observation is another huge asset you know is it looking at sick livestock or happening in the soil health or in why is your grass doing this after you graze it what did you do you know and then it allows you to Apply the principles a lot better if you have better, you know, observation. So observation is a very good tool. Everywhere yeah. I go, I see opportunities to get into agriculture for
0: people. And then after Illinois, you headed to Nebraska. Yes. The ranch that I'm on, they called me back in
1: March and offered the job to me. And I thought there was more of a long-term option in Illinois. They called me two days after I paid all my rent. So I had already written all the checks (laughs) for that year. So I wasn't going anywhere. And they wanted someone as soon as possible. That's not going to work for me. I'm tied up. And some things had changed by June or late May, early June. And I was actually going to RMC, which is a ranch management consultants. They're the ones who teach RFP. They have a young RFP in Decker, Montana every year. And I was going to that last June. So on my way home from that, I stopped here at the ranch and toured it. And we discussed it and I said, well, you know, be interested. They had a couple more interviews they were going to do. And by, I think the end of July, it had been decided that I was going to join here, but they had not found the right person and it was able to delay until all my rent leases were up so i just oh yes i came after i got rid of all my cattle in illinois and i came in here in november and we started buying cattle back so we sell out completely in the fall and take about six weeks off to do all the maintenance and everything
0: well why don't we just go ahead and And take this time to move into our overgrazing section where we take a deep dive into something you're doing on your operation. So what are we going to talk about, Leo? So we're going to talk about grazing corn stalk and utilizing leftover corn and the forage there, which was new to me last fall. I mean, that's completely foreign to me. We don't have much corn grown in my area of Oklahoma. So here, Nebraska, where I'm at, there's a lot of center pivots,
1: and it's pretty common. Everybody rents corn stalk to graze. So they put up a single strand of hot wire around these pivots, and then you put the whatever animals you have, and they graze. There's always leftover corn. There's shucks. And for a dry beef cow, it's actually a very good ration. A lot of times they don't need any any other supplement. You know, depending on what point oh, in their nice. pregnancy they are. But earlier stages they don't need any supplements. So it works excellent for beef cattle. On the ranch I'm on, we have some corn stalks and we have a small, very, very small set of pins that when we buy cattle, because we go to the sale about twice a week and we'll just truck them in and load them. We'll work them, you know, we'll castrate, mm-hmm. do all the dehornings and vaccinations. Then we'll put them out to corn stalks. They need some protein and energy supplement to keep them growing because they're calves and they're still developing. So we fence the pivots and then we split the pivots in fourths. And then we give them the corn stalks with feeding distiller grains on the side. We get about a hundred calf days acre from the corn stalks but that oh, is feeding okay. several you know quite a bit of ddgs and to the new calves we have the new calves on a separate pivot we also offer free choice hay and the longer they're there the more corn they eat but it takes them a you know transition most of the corn fields have a well and a tank set in the corner the pivot and then people just come out and you just lay out pivot wire is what they call it and it's a It's like a 12 gauge. It's not a high tensile. It's pretty easy wire to work with. And then you use metal step in posts, three eighths rod, and you put them in and you have insulators and that's how you raise your calves. And it works great until it snows. But, you know, there you just have to have your hay. But overall, it works really well on cows. Like I said, you know, it is a very good feed option, in my opinion, for cow- beef cows. And in Illinois, it wasn't really an option. Most guys weren't very interested, but out here, pretty common practice. There are very few cornfields that are not used. And so,
0: depending on your location, you know, it might be an option for someone to do that. You mentioned how many calf days per acre you get, about how long. Were your stock out on corn stalks? Starting in November till April 15th. Oh, so they spend all winter out there. Yeah. We
1: did have like a six week period during January that we had to feed everything because there was about a foot and a half snow. And actually, most of the ones that we fed alfalfa to are the heifers that we are grazing here on the ranch. They framed out really nice and they're doing really well. We don't have much grass here right now with the nutrition they had last winter they framed up really well and if you can get the corn stocks rented at a good price very good option for people for a cheaper winter feed source there's different forages pretty much everywhere would work now with corn stocks, if you have the corn stocks and could put in a cover crop you probably wouldn't need to feed any protein at all, you could just graze the little green oh, yes. cover crop
0: and a pretty well balanced ration. Yeah, that that sounds interesting and doable. And like you said, to paraphrase that, find your unfair advantage. Exactly. Most of the time your unfair advantage is your brain.
1: Just being able to think of it. <laughs> yes. You just have to figure out how to use it. If you go in with the mindset that it's not going to work, it's probably not going to work. You now the first year of grazing corn stalks, is probably not going to be pretty you'll write it down make notes and the second
0: year and the third year you'll know better oh yeah now leo as you think about your future what's your plans well hopefully
1: this uh operation here works out long term and i can stay here it's a pretty nice area with a lot of beef cattle there would be a good oh, opportunity yes. here to work sheep or goats into it for the brushing coach which would give me a little more diversity in management that you know there's there's a lot
0: of opportunities here but i that's yet to be determined so a couple of episodes ago we had taylor on and we were talking about calculating forage amount and knowing how big a paddock size and he was talking about your his grazing chart and we had some conversation there and you had to email me about using gps to to determine size and stuff can you elaborate on that please so one of the problems i ran into is you know
1: i knew the pasture size but i would break it up three or four times depending on what time of year it was with polywire and but i never really knew how much i gave him a day While I was in New Zealand, the manager that I worked under, he actually, how he did it was he had us use these little handheld um, GPSs. He would tell us how much we needed to give the cows, and then we would measure it out and give it to them. Well, when I came back to the US, you know, I have these pastures, you know, they're long, narrow pastures, but they're 30 acre pastures. So what I started doing is measure every day, and this only takes a minute or two with on your 4 wheeler run around how much grass you're giving them and then you write down how much your grass and then you keep track of that and then you see oh i was heading from the east side of this pasture moving west i was giving him four acres a day and then i got to a sandy spot give him six acres instead oh, you no. know you had that all noted and then the other benefit is if you're not moving your cattle and you have to have somebody else do who doesn't have the eye to figure out much grass to give them. You say, give them this amount of acres. Here's how you use the GPS, measure the amount of acreage you need and then set up your fence. It's a pretty no brainer, makes it so about anyone can move cattle for you. And sometimes I would have to be gone for a week or so and I would go out, look at the amount of grass out there. I would have a rough idea of how much they needed. Could tell whoever was doing chores. And it made it a lot easier, it took all the guesswork out for them. They didn't have to worry. And there's no counting fence posts there that know. I have spaced in correctly and all sorts of stuff. So
0: now when you're measuring that, are you using a dedicated device or are you using your phone? So it's just a little handheld garment DPS. You can get a program
1: on your phone, but it's only for your phone and You know, just made things a lot easier that way. There was no question about it. It was was $110, I think. Then, like I said, I just keep track. And it's really nice because years after, you know, I could look back and see, okay, this is how many acres I was giving actually every day.
0: And, you know, it just kind of refined the graving records a little bit. True. I I really like that idea. I'm going to have to look into that because, you know, the goal is we're improving, we're progressing, we're becoming better grazers. And, you know, having that eye for the forage and how much area you're giving them. We were discussing earlier, before we started recording, was my goats. And that's, I just now started grazing some brush with goats and netting. I miscalculated it way off because I was trying to figure out how much browse they had as opposed to grazing. So I think that's a very useful tool. And (laughs) Leo, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing. It's been really interesting. But it's time we transition to our famous four questions. Same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our very first question, what is your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? It's Marketing 101 by Bud and Eunice
1: Williams. Okay. It's, it's a book they wrote about sell by marketing. Highly recommend that to anyone doing farming just so you know how to get the value out of your grass. And then there's another book. It's called Fearless Farm Finance, and it's written by the people who started Finpac. And it's, it will also help oh. you get value out of your grass and it it will go through it goes through and teaches you how to set up record keeping and do your analysis and all
0: that type of stuff so it is a very good place to start different. which is one of those legs of the stool like will harris talks about you know marketing's it, a good important part there and without it under your stool you're going to tip over we tend to forget about the finance side of things and the marketing side of we do people don't enjoy them as much now i don't mind the finance side of it i like numbers but marketing mm-hmm. is the area i really have to work on and force myself to well then you need to go to one of those classics because i think you would
1: like it a lot it because it turns it a lot more into the numbers game and you're dealing with today's number and it's a it's a fixed thing that you're dealing with so it's really quite interesting
0: i have that on my list to do mm-hmm. so hopefully soon i will be making progress there moving on to our second question what tool could you not live without on your farm my fence charger probably yeah i don't think energizer gets listed very often leo what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first got started or what would you tell someone just getting started Get your baseline information.
1: So, you know, be, you know, be fairly familiar with chemistry, biology, finance, and economics, and then have a idea of how to do record keeping. And, you know, once you have the baseline, then you can hire people. If you need more complicated stuff, you have to have enough knowledge to be able to ask the question.
0: So people who know what they're doing can answer it for you. Right? Yes. And Leo, lastly, where can others find out more about you? I really don't have anything. You can put my email on. I think I'm on Facebook. Well, you have gave us a lot of different resources throughout our conversation. We'll have those listed in the show notes. It's been a wonderful conversation, Leo. I appreciate you jumping on here at short notice. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to keep the conversation going, visit our community at community.grazinggrass.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Grazing Grass podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for past and future episodes. We also welcome guests to share about their own grass farming journey. So if you're interested, out the form on grazinggrass.com under the be our guest link until next time keep on grazing grass i really hope you enjoyed today's conversation i know i did thank you for listening and if you found something useful please share it share it on your social media tell your friends get the word out about the podcast helps us grow if you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a grazinggrass Insider. Grazing Grass insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.